So welcome to Kaiju Visions charity live stream, which is our first live stream ever. And uh, we'll see how this goes. I, uh, I'm already enjoying it. So yeah, I'm sure Godzilla is enjoying Easter too. Yeah, gotta be. It's a good holiday. So I'll start with a little preface here. I'll start with a quotation that's featured in a movie. That's a good place to start out for a movie podcast. It, the movie is 1995's Outbreak, which stars Dustin Hoffman. The quotation's right at the beginning of the movie. If you've seen the movie, you might know what I'm talking about. It's by Nobel Prize winner Joshua Lederberg. Does anyone remember this? It reads, The single biggest threat to man's continued dominance on this planet is the virus. Now, I was only 14 when this movie came out, but that quotation always stayed in my head and like whenever there was news that came out about uh, Ebola or SARS etc that always sort of came back in my head and yeah it's really telling and especially with Ebola because of how the how the movie sort of references Ebola for the most part and it's yeah, it's so relevant today. And I remember that again when the coronavirus came out uh, a couple of few months ago, and it's it always stuck in my head. So with that, welcome to KVR Kaiju Vision Radio, a podcast about the appreciation of kaiju and tokusatsu films and discovering their historical and cultural value bringing you film reviews with an emphasis on international affairs and history and culture of Japan. I'm Brian Scherschel, and this is the first live stream, as well as the first charity live stream done on my channel. I'm a small channel, so I don't have a donate button, but that doesn't matter. I'll be promoting the charity nonetheless, and I have some, uh, I'll be able to tell you where to donate and exactly what the charity is, and why I chose it. You also, uh, I'll be able to tell you all that. And then I have some prepared remarks because the, I, I love things to be really scripted when I do the show, but this will be a little bit more free form. And I can also answer some questions that come up to uh, on the chat and uh, we'll see how that goes. So I'll start out with the charity. able to show you what their website looks like here in a second. One thing I wanted to accomplish with this first live stream is to help people who are directly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. I've selected a charity. It's called the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund. 
As their site reads, they support preparedness, containment, response, and recovery activities for those most affected and for the first responders. And they focus on the U.S. and they're headquartered in Washington, D.C. So here's what their website looks like. It is disasterphilanthropy.org. So there we go, right here. Oh gosh, that's glary. But as you can tell, there is the website right there. Wow, that looks funny. I'll be able to do a little bit more fancy something later. But what they do is uh, they have a, a particular response fund. They're also on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash funds for disaster. And four is the number four. What they do is they support healthcare workers, uh, quarantined and especially vulnerable individuals and hygiene promotion activities. The fund provides capital purchases of masks, gowns, gloves, and other PPE for healthcare workers so they don't get the virus and so that they don't have to be pulled from their job and have to be quarantined themselves so they can do their job in order to save people. Yes, I will get the, uh, I'll get the link to you in a second, but it is uh, disasterphilanthropy.org. Let's see. The funds go to local clinics, frontline healthcare workers, hygiene education, local food banks, low-income families, healthcare supply chains, and I made sure that the Center for Disaster Philanthropy isn't some BS organization looking to cash in on people's goodwill and generosity. I'm going to give you a little bit of the story about how this epidemic, pandemic, has affected me. Um, I don't have the coronavirus. I don't have COVID-19. I'm not affected in the same way that millions of other Americans are. I'm in the same boat as a lot of other Americans who aren't really all that affected. So I'm not going to make this about me, but I, I've seen a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of posts on Facebook and Twitter, stuff like that, where people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so bored, or you know, I'm dying of loneliness. Kind of raise my eyebrows a little bit when I see posts like that because you know. If that's all you've got going on in your life, then you should be thankful. Like if you still have your job, if you still have some semblance of normalcy yourself, then you're doing a whole lot better than millions of people who've been affected by this a lot more. And if if just being quarantined is the, the least that's there, then, uh, you know, you, you should be thankful. Because I, I know people who are risking their lives every day when they go exactly when they go and uh to work and and a lot of people are in jobs that they didn't think they would be able that they wouldn't have to come up against something like this on a daily basis and a lot of them aren't being paid hazard pay you know like it's just it's just part of their job and i that's got to be such a big deal to everybody who has to go through that and uh, I know people in the medical profession, too, who are on the front lines. And gosh, it is just overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. And I don't know, I think probably the best example of just out of touch social media would probably be Madonna when she did a video 
she was in her bathtub, soap suds everywhere and rose petals and the soap suds and all. And she was like, everyone's in this together. It's so great because everyone's in this together. And I, I thought, God, this is so cringy. This is so out of touch. It's one of the most unrelatable things I've ever seen this whole year for sure. It, just surreal, really. I hesitate to talk too much about the pandemic and I really, uh, but I, I feel that since this is a, this is a charity stream, I obviously need to, to talk about this some. And so what I'll, what I'll do is I'll say, I, I feel like viewers and listeners of Kaiju vision, you probably already follow a lot of what's going on in the news already. Like if you're, you're probably tuned into a lot of this, and all that i mean kaiju vision after all is a high information podcast and uh i i feel that the viewers are and, and listeners are pretty good at finding the right information and learning about what they need to learn for about about everything with this pandemic but then again i mean this is a charity live stream i'm obviously going to talk about about this issue some that being said, Kaiju Vision is not the place you should be going in order to learn about what to do during this crisis, like safety-wise, the critical information about how to protect yourself during this crisis. Because I'm not going to offer any advice about what to do and what not to do. You should get that information from a highly trusted source that, that are experts at getting this information out. You shouldn't be getting information like that from this Godzilla podcast. You shouldn't be getting this information from any Godzilla podcast. You know, the reason why I don't want to talk about this, you know, in a sort of anxiety triggering way is because the, the topic is, is already there. There's a lot of anxiety. And like, when I look on social media, there's so many posts about just, I have so much anxiety and it's like, okay, that you're kind of just giving more people anxiety in, in a way. Like I know that you're, you're struggling and stuff, but it, it, I think quite a few people when they get exposed to enough of these social media posts that say the same thing, it, it kind of just becomes this reinforcing downward spiral where it's just, you look at people having anxiety and then you get more anxiety yourself and it, it just doesn't really help much of anyone. I, see so much about the pandemic, no matter where I go online, seemingly. And I believe for those who are already as informed as they should be, there's the potential to just make people more anxious. I think there's a balance in between getting the information you need every day and versus watching the news all day long, which I would not recommend doing that because it can be detrimental to your mental health. And it just can put you in a place where that's all you think about is, is this. And you, you don't want to put yourself in that kind of a situation. You, you want to get the information that you need every day and you want to get the news in, but don't just sit there and watch the news all the time because it's, it's, it might not help very many people. It might not help you. It might put you in a bad place. And considering how long this, this thing might go, you want to just, 
make sure that your mental health is good and you want to just take care of yourself enough. And, and one thing to do when you're alone is just self-care, take care of yourself, get some rest and concentrate on, on how, on what you can do to, to safely make it through this. On the good side though, I do believe that this crisis will pass eventually and that we should keep that in mind. However, since this is going to be a while before that happens, that's why I'm suggesting the Center for Disaster Philanthropy as an option for what you can do and the route that you can go to. And again, that webs that website is disasterphilanthropy.org. It's the COVID-19 Response Fund, and it is uh, uh, it looks like a very good charity. They give grants. They help food banks. They help healthcare workers on the front line. They get healthcare workers, uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, all of that. And it's a, it's a great, looks like a great charity. It's headquartered here in Washington, DC. They help this country particularly the most. And uh, there are a lot of big donors and they, they are a really good organization. They haven't been around as long as a lot of other charities have, but they, uh, they seem to be really good. Since Kaiju Vision focuses heavily on Japan, I'll address that a little. The situation is just as quickly evolving in Japan as it is here. The focus is, of course, on the largest cities in the country. So Tokyo, which is the most populated city in the entire world, Osaka, Nagoya, Kyoto, Fukuoka, Sapporo, Yokohama, Kobe, Hiroshima, Sendai, and Kawasaki. I'm not going to give any numbers of cases. I don't have the, the newest ones today, and it changes on a daily basis, sometimes hourly basis, just because that information, it, it gets stale in a matter of hours. Generally, though, they're having the same issues that we are. Low supply of personal protection equipment, hospitals being overwhelmed with critically ill people, shutdowns of businesses, social distancing uh, procedures. And I wish my absolute best wishes to my friends in Japan and to everyone in Japan who's going through this crisis. This is another national crisis that Japan faces. They have faced many before, but this is yet another new kind of a crisis for Japan to go through. And I really hope that, that they make it through as quickly as possible and that as few people get the disease as possible. And as, as far as I want to remind everybody with the, the nomenclature of this, the, it's the coronavirus, that's the virus, and then the disease is COVID-19. That's, that's why it's called the COVID-19 pandemic, because it's, but it's caused by the coronavirus, and then it's COVID-19, that's the disease. Hmm. So, hmm. so I will be plugging the charity uh, on and off here to make sure that everybody comes in who's new that you still have the information. Again, that is disasterphilanthropy.org. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I'll talk a little about a little bit about the Olympics to 
uh, keep the coverage on that up. The Olympics has always been a significant topic at Kaiju Vision, going all the way back to the very first episode that was ever recorded. And uh, that was episode nine, uh, Mothra versus Godzilla. That was the first one that was actually recorded. I chose all of the related topics for every single one of these episodes. And for that episode, episode nine, I chose the 1964 Olympics, Typhoon Vera, the bullet trains, and the monorail, because those were all going on in 1964. It was a very busy year in Japan. And I also, however, did a preview for the 2020 Olympics, which uh, in 2017 was when that episode came out. So I talked about what was planned for the 2020 Olympics, which is now the 2021 Olympics, which is, that sounds so strange still, but uh, I talked about some of the sports that were going, that was going on that they, that they are still planning. And also on the show, I covered the 1998 winter Olympics, which were held in Nagano, Japan in the Japanese Alps. And I talked about the 1972 Winter Olympics, which were held in Sapporo on the island of Hokkaido. And those were featured in the Godzilla 1998 and the Godzilla versus Gigan episodes, respectively. I included the Olympics in Kaiju Vision every time I could because of the connection of the events to national pride. And since Kaiju Vision talks about the Japanese national spirit a lot, uh, I wanted to be able to make that connection to the Olympics, especially in 1964. Japan had a lot of uh, connection between national pride and their hosting of the Olympics. It was a very proud moment for them. And I'm sure that next year is going to be a very proud moment for them, too, should the event not get postponed again. I definitely agree, however, that the Olympics should have been postponed because the lives of the attendees and the participants and the athletes, uh, is, that's more important than just holding the event, uh, no matter what, of course. And I know Japan is going to put on a great show for the rest of the world. In 2016, at the closing events for the Rio de Janeiro Olympics, uh, there, I, if you remember, Prime Minister Abe wore a Mario costume, Super Mario costume, and he and that was a way to introduce everybody and i'm sure uh, to to japan and i'm sure that uh there's going to be a lot of anime and a lot of just all these kinds of cultural connections that everybody makes to japan included in things like the opening and closing ceremonies and uh all, all kinds of other things i'm sure they're going to put on a great show i'm sure it's going to be better than rio rio had a lot of problems but i i know that japan's going to put on a great show they built so many venues and they, they, they did such a great job preparing for all of this. So I'm looking forward to that. And I hope that we'll be out of the woods by, that, by the time that the Olympics postponed date went, went to, which is July 23rd, 2021. And hopefully that doesn't have to be canceled again. If you're just joining us, uh, welcome to Kaiju Vision's live stream, which is a charity live stream, and is for the benefit of the Disaster Philanthropy uh, Center for Disaster Philanthropy. And uh, it is disasterphilanthropy.org. It is headquartered in Washington, D.C., and it is all about helping people with COVID-19 response. It helps people in the healthcare business. 
It includes and fields. It includes uh, people who have been quarantined. It includes giving money to food banks. It includes buying PPE, personal protective equipment for people in the medical field in order to save people uh, and, and instead of be, and being able to protect themselves while this is all going on. Very important. Switching gears again, a um, friend of mine gave uh, gave me this the information about this, but has anyone seen the show on Amazon Prime called James May, Our Man in Japan? Well, I, I watched it, binge watched it. It was only, uh, I believe, six episodes. And uh, James May, if you don't know, he's the Englishman who is best known for being one of the hosts of Top Gear. And it's uh, it went through, it was a really fast watch. It was really good. And Kaiju Vision covers quite a few things that he actually uh, touched on, including uh, Shintoism and the shrines, things like that. He visited Hiroshima and uh, covered the atomic bombings. And uh, really, a really great personality. Keeps it very interesting. Yeah, I love all that. Um, I think the more you know about Japan, the more interesting media from Japan becomes. And the more you know about the history and the culture, the more you know about, the more it enriches you when you see media from that country. And it becomes more fulfilling. And that's one thing that I set to do with Kaiju Vision is I was so intrigued by Godzilla and other tokusatsu special effects movies because movies in this genre, at least the best movies in this genre, are layered. They have a lot going on in them. They look simple initially, but very often, and they, they, they cleverly and fascinatingly reference historical and cultural topics, which were relevant to their time of release when they came out. I picked a topic for each movie, and I researched how the movie connects to that issue. And that's really, I thought it was a great idea to be able to just get more of, of the history and the politics into these movies because they do reference a lot of politics. The viewers then get a bigger and better understanding, and then that results in a greater appreciation of the material. Uh, I'll tell you briefly a little bit about my education. I went to a private all-male liberal arts college in Indiana called Wabash College. It is I believe one of only two all-male colleges left in the entire country. It's a great school. It's quite small. I majored in political science and minored in history, and I graduated with honors. I then went on to graduate school at the Indiana University O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs, where I concentrated in comparative and international affairs. It's the top rank is the top ranked public administration school in the US, even above the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University. I've always been interested in international relations, history, government, politics, and all of that. I think history is so exciting. I've always loved history. I've always loved politics. It's always fascinated me. I've always been interested in it. It's just fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a history buff. Uh, one, of the, some of the, one of the greatest fields that I, I, I looked at in history actually would have to be early modern Europe and in general European history. I love European history, but the more I look at Japan, the more I, I love and appreciate Japan, Japan's history as well and, and their politics. 
So that's just a little bit of information more about me. Um, so what we're doing again, everybody is the, is a charity live stream for the center for disaster philanthropy, COVID-19 response fund. And that is uh, disasterphilanthropy.org. And you can donate to the fund. There it is a great organization apparently. And they've been, they've, uh, they've been around for a few years now, headquartered in Washington, all the money goes uh, to, I believe, the United States uh, and to, uh, to assist in the pandemic that has uh, unfortunately uh, made a, a big impact on the United States. One thing I wanted to get out of the way really quick is uh, I'm sure that, that frequent listeners, they, uh, they, they saw how uh, I, there was a slowdown in the episodes of the show and uh, and I, I think I'll just very quickly explain that I put a little bit on social media and I put, I put something on the website too, but without going into too much detail, uh, the reasons for uh, the slowdown in episodes um, up until this, up until recently, things are starting back up again now, but uh, I ma mainly it was my health and my responsibilities as a live-in caretaker uh, for my grandmother who passed away in February she lived 98 years and I uh, lived with her for the past 15. And even though she lived 98 years, she never saw a pandemic like this in her life because she died. She was born uh, after the flu pandemic, the, the big influenza pandemic after World War I. And she died right before this began. And so 98 whole years, she didn't see something like this. And now we're all having to see it. And so, so my responsibilities to her and to, to my health uh, superseded the show and superseded work on this. And when you don't feel good, you're not going to put in uh, a whole bunch of effort into something like this. When, you, when you're working on the show, you want to feel, feel good enough to work on it. Uh, I'm, I'm disabled. I have a lot of, you know, few physical health issues, chronic pain, but I don't want to spend too much time on this. But in, in case you were wondering... Uh, that's what was going on. And I uh, am really glad that things are looking up more and that I'm going to be able to spend more time on the show because uh, this was something that I take a lot of a lot of pride in. And I really want to make sure that I put my best foot forward uh, on this when I when I'm feeling up to it. So. Hmm. The most recent episode that I worked on. Uh, and released was the politics of Shin Godzilla. And uh, I showed some of you Shin Godzilla, I remember. Um, it's, it, I saw it in the theater when it came out, incredible movie, really great movie. And it's the, I think the best Godzilla movie that's come out in the time that I've, that I've been alive, uh, I think without question in my, in my lifetime. Um, Although the, the 1984 film, The Return of Godzilla, is absolutely one of my favorites as well. But given how the, the focus of the politics of Shin Godzilla works, I'm, I'm happy with the feedback and how many views it received because it's such a, a narrow topic. It's really narrow. And um, though there are some arguments that have been made defending Shin Godzilla in the, in the fandom and in the fan base, uh, it's it, a lot of the a lot of the defenses of Shin Godzilla, they are more focused on comparing it to the MonsterVerse, all of these movies that have come out very recently uh, from Legendary. And 
well, that is, uh, that's not something that I do in this Politics of Shin Godzilla episode. Um, I encourage you to check that out. Instead, it's, it's about the Japanese being able to do what they frequently have done with Godzilla movies, and that's work through a crisis as a nation. And that, that's another thing that, that the Japanese have to do a lot, is they have to work through so many disasters that occur in their country, whether it's earthquakes, typhoons, volcanoes, and now uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's a reason why Shin Godzilla was received so well in Japan and why the critics liked it. And it hits all of the notes that every classic Godzilla movie should hit. And it did, did that so well. It hit it out of the park. And it's also fascinating that Shin Godzilla did all of this for only about $10 million, which is, to me, that's amazing. Because uh, there's so many movies in the, the MonsterVerse that are, you know, uh 120 million plus uh and in some cases uh, i know that one of them was i believe it was 240 million was uh i know it was i know it was over 200 for king of the monsters which is uh, a huge amount of money to spend on a godzilla movie that's for sure um i guarantee though that if the original godzilla film had been released as as it was originally in japan if they had released that in the United States, it either like in well, it was 1954. So releasing that movie on a 1954 America, I really don't know how it would have gone. I don't think it would have gone over very well. I think it would have gone either over people's heads, which is a big one, or it might have actually it might have actually made a lot of people angry, in fact, because they're with the way that the symbolism works and the fact that there's so much politics in that movie, I think it would have maybe made some people rather angry. Um, the original movie was partially about the frustration that the Japanese had towards the United States, namely the war and the nuclear bomb testing uh, at Bikini Atoll, the Castle Bravo test. Yes, I, it probably would have been released in art houses and probably nowhere else, right? And it's if it had been given a wide release, it would not have gone over well very much with the audience because it was only nine years after the war anyway. And so this was, this was still very much in people's minds very heavily. And um, I, I think nowadays, though, when you see the original Godzilla movie, you kind of, you don't really appreciate just... Uh, what direction the politics went and and how it would not have gone over very well back then. Um, I think probably the same critiques would have been leveled at the, uh, the, that the same critiques that are leveled at Shin Godzilla. Now, I think that would have been leveled. That would have been leveled at the original Godzilla movie back then. They would have said it was nationalistic uh, and they might've even said it was anti-American, but instead it was more important to get exposure to it rather than to give everybody the full political just onslaught that this movie is because um, a, it, a much larger audience saw the movie uh, as a result of the uh, the cut version with 
Raymond Burr back in. I absolutely love Raymond Burr. And I, I think the movie is still good on its own. And there's um, initially, I think I was a little bit harder on it because uh, I, I want all of the politics to be retained, but the, the movie did have a really good function, which was to get exposure to Godzilla, to the overall larger population rather than just a small audience. And because otherwise I don't think people would have known as much uh, in pop culture. It, it wouldn't have made the impact that it eventually ended up making. In particular, in the 1954 movie, the, the aspect of the self-victimization especially would have not gone over very well, considering Japan was both an aggressor and a victim of World War II. And with Shin Godzilla, we didn't wait over a generation before we saw the real Shin Godzilla. We saw the real thing right away. And I think the 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 one thing that, that changed it, well, first of all, I can't imagine a cut-down version of Shin Godzilla. I don't think it would have gone over well at all. I think it would have been just this cut-up mess. But I, I wouldn't have seen, I wouldn't have thought that that version would have been successful. So it didn't surprise me that some people got really angry with uh, Shin Godzilla when it came out. They were upset about the patriotism in the movie, and they decided to call it nationalism and, and then level all these um, charges against it. Because largely, Shin Godzilla is about the 311 disaster, and that's, um, that's important. And it was about the response that the Japanese government had to 311, the earthquake, the tsunami, and the nuclear meltdowns at Fukushima. So it's why the government is bad at their job in the movie is because they were relatively bad at their job when 311 occurred. It was a new kind of crisis. They didn't know how to react to it and they couldn't handle it. But to call Shin Godzilla nationalistic propaganda is really selling the movie short, I think. That line of attack also diminishes what the Japanese people had to go through in the wake of that disaster. And I personally cannot imagine a 9.1 earthquake hitting the United States, uh, and especially if it hit a nuclear power plant and caused this big of a crisis. I don't, I, I call me realistic or pessimistic even, but I don't think the United States would have been able to react to that uh, any better than the Japanese reacted to 311. It, it was, and it's because it's such, it, it was such a new kind of crisis and governments aren't very good at responding to crises that are new. Government's better at things once they've, once they've learned how to react to it. And now uh, it, it isn't, and, and that connects back to the, the COVID-19 pandemic uh, because governments have been uh, caught off guard by this. They've been surprised by this. They don't know how to react and there's a lot of haggling over what to do in the wake of, of such a disaster, because this is a disaster. And that's why I'm supporting the disaster, uh, the Center for Disaster Philanthropy, uh, COVID-19 Response Fund, which is the charity. And uh, again, that, that uh, website address is disasterphilanthropy.org. So... So just like the original Godzilla movie, Shin Godzilla helped Japanese people to work through the complex emotions that they had in the wake of a disaster as bad as 311. 
I don't know how easy it would be to make a Godzilla movie uh, that where, where Godzilla is a pandemic. I, I don't know if that's really all that necessary or, or called for. Um, I sort of shudder at uh, the movies that could be made as a result of this pandemic. Um, for some reason, I don't know if they'd be all that good, but uh, it, it really depends on who does it and who's in it and how it's written. But I, I, there were quite a few movies that were made after 9-11 and uh, some of them were better than others. So check out the episode on the politics of Shin Godzilla, which is the, uh, the video I made uh, right before this one. And I guarantee that no one else has argued for Shin Godzilla in the way that I have. And it's not just a retread of what other people have said about Shin Godzilla in the fandom. It's a fresh voice. It's something totally new and extremely nuanced. Shin Godzilla is one of the most complex movies I've ever seen because they're, it's just so layered. It's so good. It's, it's just really perfect uh, for, a Shin Godzilla, for, a, for a Godzilla movie. It's one of the most perfect ones that have ever been made. I never thought that it would be made in the first place, really. Uh, I know that it wouldn't have, you wouldn't be able to make something like that in the United States. It had to come from the Japanese. It had to come from the, the emotions that they felt, the wide range of, of emotions that the Japanese people felt as a whole when that disaster occurred. And uh, it's really ballsy to make a movie like that to, to capture the, the, the here and now so well. And I, I never thought that it would be made. I, I figured that possibly that, that Toho would have just made something very normal in comparison and just left it at that. Because uh, if you put a franchise like this in the hands of the wrong people, then, well, it's not going to be as good. But this time around, it was just, uh, it was a home run. They really hit it out of the park. I was amazed at how well they did. Uh, the, the writing's great. The camera work is great. I mean, to have a, a movie that good and have it shot so well at the same time, because if you didn't shoot that movie if they had shot it differently, if they'd had longer takes, if they hadn't have been as inventive, it wouldn't have been as good. It would have been more boring. Uh, and I think that that's extremely good that they were able to spend the time to, to make a package that was compelling. And it did so well with awards. It did so well with the critics too. The critics absolutely loved it for the most part. And so I am really happy that, that, it, that it, was a success and i'm looking i'm really looking forward to what toho has next uh coming up and i'll, I'll be really happy with uh with what they do i'm sure if they do it right i mean that i i trust them to be able to make good content and i trust them to be able to do a good job because they know i mean shin godzilla really proved that they know what they were doing so So again, regarding the, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and this charity stream, uh, the charity that I'm supporting is the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund. They help food banks. They help healthcare workers with 
uh, personal protection equipment and other equipment. They help people who are under quarantine and who are sick. They do a lot for people. And right now, America is going through uh, the kind of crises that Japan goes through on a more regular basis. And I hope that that we can get through this as quickly as possible and as few people as possible get this can get the disease because it is um, it is very bad and it's something that we as a nation should uh, try to put our best foot forward and move through this as best as possible. Um, I I think that the best way to do that is to do what the doctors say, do what the CDC says to do to protect yourself and especially to not endanger other people uh, and, and give it to them because that's very irresponsible. So now that I'm done with talking about politics of Shin Godzilla, that whole, um, that whole part of it, what I want to do is talk a little bit about, about more about the pandemic with respect uh, to the uh, Godzilla convention, uh, G-Fest, which is uh, uh, the regular yearly convention that the uh, fandom uh, goes to and is, and is put on. And uh, I, I think I'll preface this by how, well, I, I am on a planning committee for a festival. It's not as uh, complicated and complex as G-Fest, that's for sure, but uh, it is, uh, it's called the Cherry Blossom Festival. And it is a, uh, a Japanese cultural festival that's put on in my, in my uh, city, Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's every year. And it's uh, around mid-May, May 15th-ish or so of every year. And it's a wonderful festival. And I'm on the planning committee for it. Great people. It's such a good event. And, and it, only, it only lasts a day. But there, there's so much going on at this event. There's so much to do all over the place. It's held at the main library uh, downtown. And uh, there's a courtyard outside where there's a whole lot of stuff going on. There's food trucks. There's uh, dancers. There's uh, songs. There's music. There's uh, a little karaoke thing. There's a Japanese tea ceremony. There, uh, there's a lot going on there. And it's, it's really fantastic. You, there's uh, booths. You can buy all kinds of Japanese stuff. Uh, and uh, also every year, typically, the uh, consul general... Uh, from the United from Japan to the United States shows up at the event every year. So there's so there's that component too. We, uh, he's uh, the consul general is uh, headquartered in who could, at least the consul general who comes here is headquartered in Chicago, uh, which has been very hard hit uh, by the pandemic, of course, uh, especially in this region, Chicago, Detroit, and to a lesser extent, Indianapolis have been all been hit very hard by this. Uh, and so as a member of that planning committee, we, I and, and all of the other people on the committee, we were keeping track of the news about this. And of course, we had to take a look at how this obviously affected people in Japan and how it might in the future affect people in Japan. It's only really starting in Japan now, unfortunately. But, um, and we hope that, that Japan has uh, good luck and can work through this crisis as best as possible, of course. Um, but one thing we did on that planning committee was we, as it got worse in March, we realized, okay, this is, this isn't going to be good. We know that by the time May 15th rolls around that this is going to be worse if anything. 
you know, and uh, this was something that we figured would happen. We weren't really sure how bad it was going to be, uh, you know, um, you know, March 2nd, March 3rd, you know, it, we, we saw it coming for sure. And uh, at that point, uh, it wasn't long after that, that the uh, library system decided to close down along with a whole bunch of other uh, entities and businesses in uh, the city. And it was for other people's safety. It was for the safety of the attendees, for the safety of the vendors, the committee, the audiences, the uh, the consul general, you know, and that that's very important to be able to protect your attendees and your guests of honor at, at the event. I mean, the, the mayor shows up at the event every year too. There are, uh, you know, city councilmen, et cetera. And uh, not that their lives are more important than anyone else's, but uh, if you, you need to ensure that, that guests uh, that, that you have uh, come to the festival can be safe and that they don't, uh, that they don't go back home uh, sick or that, or worse, if they're from outside of the country, that they, that they come here and then they become sick and they can't go home because they're, they're restricted. So it's, it's very difficult to, to hold an event like that with an international component. But regarding uh, G-Fest, uh, I've been rather surprised. I mean, everybody's seen the, uh, the, the tweets and uh, the, the various other uh, kind of communications from G-Fest. And um, it, I, I saw the reactions to it. And of course, you know, it was rather uh, problematic uh, to say the least. And, it's, and, and, you know, when you have an event like this, that is that has an international component to it just like the festival that i'm on the committee for that there is that is a problem it makes things more complicated and so because any anything with international component to it makes it harder um there was um something that i did notice with, with gfest though is that they did release a, a a statement that came out recently that was um, pretty well polished. It was well prepared. It was a nice, nice uh, written statement. And I think they did a relatively good job on that statement. Um, and for those of you uh, who don't follow this as much as I do, or those of you who aren't necessarily, you know, hooked into the fandom as much, um, G-Fest is held yearly at, uh, in Rosemont, Illinois, which is in Cook County, Illinois. Uh, that's out. It's at, right outside Chicago, and it's right by O'Hare Airport. As of right now, which is uh, April twelfth, twenty twenty, the event is still on, and it's scheduled to take place from July the 9th to the twelfth at the Crown Plaza O'Hare o Hotel. There's been a great deal said about whether this event should go forward or whether it should be canceled. And I'm not going to say one way or the other because I'm not on the planning committee and I'm not, uh, I'm not hooked into the, uh, all of the system at the convention, really. Um, it's really up to them to decide. Uh, for now, those in charge of the convention have uh, adopted a sort of wait and see policy. And uh, I attended the convention in 2017, 2018, and 2019. And um, you can also check on the, uh, the YouTube channel here 
to look at some of the panels that I've been on and, uh, and some of the panels that I've uh, shared as well. And uh, it's a great event. Um, and I, I really, uh, I really think it's a good, a good event and it's, it's fun. It's, uh, it's interesting. You get to meet a lot of people. It's a good time. Um, there is a little to be said though, about the special guests that come to the convention. There is a big reason why people go to the convention in the first place. And that is those guests, those guests of honor. That's very important. Um, they're usually Japanese and they're usually, well, over the age of what, 50, I guess would be the term in best 50, even 60. Uh, they're uh, actors, directors, um, people who are on the production staff of a lot of the classic Godzilla movies, um, particularly from the Showa era, but also from the Heisei era, which is the 90s. And they have to travel a long distance in order to get here, first of all. And then when they get here, uh, and of course it has to be air travel, and they travel halfway across the world. And then when they get here, they have to interact with fans. They have to give them uh, autographs and take pictures with them and all of that. And last year I uh, got, I was able to meet Akira Takarada, who is very, 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 very famous actor in the Godzilla fandom. He's uh, just an incredible personality. I, I kind of clammed up when I, when I met him uh, at a reception and I, I shook his hand and I just was blown away. I couldn't believe that, that I was finally able to meet him. It was incredible. And I, I just sort of um, mentally shut down a little bit. And I, I looked at, I, I just couldn't, I was overwhelmed <laughs> to say the least. And all, all of the activities that I mentioned though, that they do when they're here, they involve a lot of close contact physically with the attendees at the convention. So we got long distance travel. We have complications from older age and close human contact. And th those three things put together, that's a really bad combination to, to have during a, a time like this. Um, the attendees are from all over the United States as well. Um, so that a lot of them would have to fly in order to get to the convention and uh, we do have some time left, um, three months, uh, a little bit less than three months now until the convention is supposed to happen. Um, and who knows what's, what it's going to be like. Uh, I do, though, believe that uh, one of the last, one of the, one of the most recent things I heard was that we might be back to some degree of normalcy in America by the time the presidential election rolls around in November. And uh, that's quite a while from now. That, that really is pretty much saying this is going to last all through almost the end of the year, which is a long time. Uh, I I'm personally am not surprised by that date estimation because the, when this all began, the overall timeline was, you know, we need to minimize the number of people getting the virus, but then we also need to get a vaccine for it. And until you get to that vaccine or 
if, until you find a treatment that is going to massively reduce the risk of fatalities from this, that it's really those two things that will help us get out of this the most. We want to make it so that either you're immune to it or you want to find a treatment in which your body can build up the antibodies in order to fight this off like really well, to be able to get through it, get past it easily, and have it so that almost no one dies from it. That's very important to do. But it's going to be a while before that happens. But it might happen sooner. It also might happen later. We don't know. We don't know. The, the G-Fest official statement mentions G-Fest's much simpler logistics. And they compare the G-Fest convention to the 2020 Olympics and to the 2020 Democratic National Convention, which, if I remember correctly, is supposed to take place in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So we got that all going on. Uh, those are, I think the reason why those two events were mentioned is because both of those events were scheduled to happen in July, the same month that G-Fest is scheduled for. So that's, I believe, why. Uh, and both of those events have been postponed. The Olympics has been postponed until, like I said, next July. And the, uh, the Democratic National Convention has also been uh, postponed. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the new date is, if they've new, set a new date, whatever. Um, and, and I think they also mentioned these two events in that statement because they're, they're both much larger events. And, um, and that's fine. And, you know, same month, more complex events, right? And I guess G-Fest is simpler than both of those events. And it's not, I mean, there are a lot of conventions that aren't as big as the Democratic National Convention. And there are a lot of events that are not as big as the Olympics. I mean, almost any event is less complex than the Summer Olympics. You can't really get more complex than that with the aspects of international travel uh, of an extremely long event, all of these sports events. I mean, you can't get much more complex than that. So I, I, I understand why they made this comparison, but at the same time, I'm not really sure that it, that it really is the best example to use. You know, I, but either way, um, but not every conference though, that's in America has guests of honor that primarily come from Japan. And that I think that's a that's an important takeaway from this. The statement goes on to read, if social distancing starts winding down, and I'm paraphrasing here, we will work closely with our host hotel, Crown Plaza, blah, 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 and local health authorities to ensure a safe convention environment. Um, well, well, given that uh, people can be infected with the virus and be asymptomatic and still give it to others, that's a problem. Um, there's also the fact that you can be totally asymptomatic or have almost no symptoms and you're still, you're still able to give it to someone. Um, I have no idea, given those two things, I'm not really sure how you're able to ensure the safety of 
people at an event like this, if this is still going on. And that's the big thing to paraphrase here uh, with this too, is that uh, we don't know what things are going to look like in July. We're not sure. And so obviously I'll, I'll preface all of that uh, with this comment is that we don't know necessarily what's going to happen by then. Um, so, but at, at least right now, uh, forgive my skepticism, but given the size of the event and given the much uh, smaller logistics, I mean, given the supposedly simpler logistics of this, um, I'm, I'm not really sure how much you're supposed to work with local health authorities to ensure the safety of the guests and the attendees. Um, I'd be more concerned about even one person at the convention falling ill, or I think the worst case would be is if they pick it up, if they pick up the virus in between where they're at home and the convention. If they pick it up during the time that they're traveling to G-Fest, that would be something very concerning to me. Um, and what happens after that then? Like how many people after they arrive at the convention, how many people do they end up unknowingly giving it to? And how many people then come in contact, you know, and then the people that those people come in contact with. And that that's how this works, unfortunately. So I don't want to belabor the, I mean, there's been a lot said about G Fest and about the uh, ability to, about whether to have it or not. And again, I'm, I'm not saying whether we should have it or not, or what, I mean, this is just my opinion, of course. But my point is, is that the 3000 people isn't small. Uh, I mean, yes, if you compare it to the 2020 or now 2021 Olympics, sure, that's small. But I mean, it's kind of an easy comparison to make. And, but if it, but 3000 people isn't small and the guests of honor and attendees, uh, I, I hope that they shouldn't have to put their lives at risk. Uh, and I think one of, one of the tweets replying to uh, one of the statements from G-Fest was, uh, it would be really bad if someone fell ill or possibly even died from attending their favorite Godzilla convention. I think that would be, I, I would agree with that sentiment. And the other thing here to remember is, I'm sorry, my mouth's gone. Um, the other point here to make is, is that the virus does not care if it's 3,000 people at the convention or 300 people or 300,000 or 3 million. It doesn't matter. The virus doesn't know how big the event is. And that's something to take into account as well. And, and the point is, is that the virus only cares if it's, you know, all it needs is two people. All it needs is two people. That, that's it. You know, one to the other to the other. And I'm sure you've seen the, the video slash animation thing on social media where it shows the matches uh, all burning next to each other. And once you distance the rest of the matches from the first from the ones that are burning, you're able to stop it. But so the, so the virus only needs one person. It goes from one person to the other. That's how it works. And so and also who else 
is at the hotel during this convention. It's not just people who are there, you know, for you know the convention itself. There are people who are uh, there for other things. There are there are people who are traveling for other reasons, and and not all of them are attending the convention. There are also people at other hotels uh, that went. That, you know, there are like what three satellite hotels that uh, are also uh, officially affiliated with the convention, two or three. And they, uh, so who all is at those hotels? And then of course uh, the airports, who, who's all at the airports for this? You know, that, that, I mean, there are a lot of interactions that you could make on the way to a convention like this. You could pick it up and then who knows what happens to you and everyone else at the convention then. Um, so there are a lot of variables here that, and I think, it's very important to recognize these variables. Do I hope that the convention will uh, be able to happen? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm scheduled to attend and uh, I, I haven't pulled out. And I, I hope that by the time July 9th comes around, that it will uh, that we'll be in a lot better place than when we're when we are now. Uh, so am I saying that the event should be canceled? I, I don't believe that it should be canceled uh, necessarily, but I, I, I think it, uh, I think you need to take a very, very close examination of this and make the right choice. And I, uh, I don't have any problem with them taking a wait and see approach. Um, that's, that's prudent, but um, I wouldn't want G fest to be the reason though, why someone could get the coronavirus. I don't want G fest to be the reason that anybody actually dies because that would be very very unfortunate um it would also be tr very tragic if a guest of honor took a chance and came to the convention and then became sick while in the united states and then wasn't able to return to japan instead they ended up being quarantined here or they had to take one of those you know uh rescue um rescue flights and because travel between Japan and the United States now is very problematic because I believe Japan is quarantining people who uh, travel from other countries to Japan. Uh, I saw that especially probably uh, Haneda airport in Tokyo and also uh, Narita airport, which is uh, sort of more on the edge of the Tokyo metropolis. Um, and that's, it's very important to, uh, to protect those people who are making international travel and who are making they're making that sacrifice. Um, and it's, that's very important. Uh, currently, and these are, again, these numbers can change a lot, but there are um, 13,000 cases of the coronavirus, of COVID-19 in Cook County, Illinois, which is where the G-Fest convention is being held. Um, and Rosemont is, uh, while it's not, while it's in the city of Rosemont and not the city of Chicago, both Chicago and Rosemont are in Cook County, which is the most populous county in Illinois. Um, over 450 people in Cook County have died so far from the disease. It's very unfortunate. And uh, it seems that the larger, of course, the larger city that we're dealing with, uh, the worse these numbers get, especially in the, especially right now in uh, middle of April in the United States, particularly the Eastern United States and the West Coast have been, uh, have been hit the hardest. O'Hare Airport remains open for essential travel only. 
And so bottom line, the decision that the G-Fest committee should make should be based on the safety of the attendees and of the guests of honor who are there uh, and are planning to come to the convention. Um, and I don't think that saying how big or small the convention is or comparing it to the biggest event that occurs in the world, the Olympics, I don't think those comparisons really help anything because uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like I said, the virus doesn't care if it's 3,000 people or 300,000 people that are coming to this convention. And that's uh, an important thing to keep in mind. Like I said, it only needs two people, one person and another person in order to be able to, uh, to uh, for the virus to go from one person to the other. Um, I mean, like I said, every, nearly every event that occurs on this planet is smaller than the Summer Olympics. There really isn't anything bigger than that that I can think of very readily. So that, that's what I have to say about, about G-Fest. And um, I, I think that's very, uh, it's very important to, to cover this event uh, and to talk about it. I, I know a lot of people have talked about this. This is on the minds of a lot of people in the Godzilla fandom and the fan base. And uh, we, I hope that, that they, sorry, my nose is itching. I did wash my hands and I am being very careful, but uh, I, I think that it's very important to, to, to make sure that people at G-Fest are safe first and foremost. Uh, and I, I, I trust that, that, that the, the planning committee for G-Fest will make the right decision and, uh, and that they'll do a good job uh, handling this. I, I think I'll uh, take one more time to plug the charity that I'm promoting right now, and that is the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund. And you can donate to the fund through their website, which is disasterphilanthropy.org. It is a nonprofit. They are uh, helping people in the United States, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about them. They support healthcare workers, quarantined and especially vulnerable individuals, and hygiene promotion activities. They provide capital purchases of masks, gowns, gloves, and other personal protection equipment for healthcare workers so they don't get the virus and have to be pulled from the front lines so that they can do their job to save people. Uh, the funds go to local clinics, frontline healthcare workers, hygiene education, local food banks, low-income families, and healthcare supply chains. Uh, again, the Center for Disaster Philanthropy is headquartered in Washington, D.C., and uh, it is a national nonprofit organization. Uh, it's very, they're doing a lot of really good work. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you do, but I have uh, friends and acquaintances who are on the front lines of this event. Uh, they are either in the medical profession or they work at critical places that are being kept open, such as um, supermarkets and uh, other things like that, clinics, uh, as well as uh, people working in hospitals. And it's very important to, uh, to help these people. I know that, I know that when you, when a lot of these people who work in these positions, especially service workers, they did not think that this is something that would happen to them. It's very important that we, that we help them through this and that we make it easier uh, easy as possible for them during this time. And 
uh, I mean, obviously when the groceries and places like that are, you know, some of the few places that are still open because they have to be remain, they have to remain open. And uh, obviously that is where uh, some of the, um, some of the cases can originate from is through contact at these places because it goes wherever it, it wants and wherever there are people. And that's, uh, I know that, I know, I know that I can't imagine having to be in, in one of, one of these jobs. Uh, I mean, like actually my, I, I can actually just not under these conditions because, uh, my first job that I ever had in my life when I was younger was I worked at a supermarket. That was my first job. And so I know, uh, I know how, you know, that works. It's been a long time since I did, but I, I remember it for sure. Um, but it's a tough, it's a tough job and it's a rather thankless job. And I know there's been plenty that's been mentioned uh, about uh, service workers and all of these fields and uh, how we have to support them. And I know that that one thing that was done was uh, we, uh, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, the, uh, we have to make sure that, that they're taken care of. And also um, I know that, uh, another profession that that did not full of people that did not expect to to be hit with this crisis head on would be uh, people who work in restaurants and fast food, especially because they're fast food places that are open still. And uh, I, I think one of the better things that we can do is try not to go to these places because they don't want as much contact with people right now. I'm, if you're working in at a fast food restaurant, one of the things you don't want is more contact with more people because they could get it themselves. They could bring it home to their families. And, and so what's, you know, you have to think about what's important for them too. Um, and so it's, it's difficult for them as well. And I, I really hope that uh, as few people as possible who work in uh, supermarkets and, uh, and places like this are not affected by uh, what's going on. It's very difficult. Um, but like I said, uh, one of the first job that I ever had was in, uh, I worked in a supermarket. I was bagging groceries for people. Uh, and uh, back then it was the older times and, and, and I, uh, I, I took their groceries out to their car for them and, and put them in their trunks and things like that. Um, so I, having worked in that field, I, I feel like I can understand more about uh, what everybody in the, in that field is going through, but, um, very difficult. Um, let's take a look here. So when, when preparing for this, uh, I mean, I, I typically write almost everything for the show, nearly everything for Kaiju Vision is written down beforehand. Um, rather sometimes hurts my hand, of course, because I have a little bit of arthritis, but, uh, I'm able to get through it. And I think that it's important that we, that the fandom and the fan base is served with, with a show that does a lot more. And when, when a crisis like this is going on, it's, it's important that I do as much as I can to, to give you the information on this nonprofit charity and to, to keep this going and to do something meaningful. Um, one thing that Kaiju Vision covers so well is current events. 
and history and historical events and politics. And especially with history right now, I mean, this is history happening right before us and it's a very frightening kind. And I, I, uh, this is something I wish I would never have to see in my lifetime. Um, but th this is something that I, it is one for the history books. It will be remembered very hugely. Uh, I, I think everybody who's around now will remember it for the rest of their lives. And um, it's too bad that, that this has to happen. I don't know if I'm the only one uh, who sort of reserved in the back of your mind that this could possibly, something like this could possibly have occurred during our lifetime. Um, I, when I, I thought about that more when uh, Ebola was getting worse and uh, we started getting cases of Ebola here. But this is uh, coronavirus is uh, quite different from that. But uh, either way, I, this was something that I kind of reserved in the back of my head. This that this something like this could happen. Um, I I want to see if there are uh, any other questions that anyone has uh, from the chat, either about the show or about uh, any questions about what I said about G Fest. Uh, the Godzilla convention that happens uh, every year in Illinois, uh, or if you have any uh, uh, any any further uh, remarks that you think that I should cover here. Uh, but again, the charity is the uh, Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID nineteen Response Fund, and uh, I want to make sure that that we get uh, help through that organization to as many people as possible, uh, especially people who are who have problems with food insecurity and uh, because i know that uh, i'm sure you've seen the pictures of all the huge lines of cars waiting at uh, for food at the food banks and uh, especially with things like food security um, the economy of course has been very heavily affected by the pandemic particularly uh there have been so many people who have lost their jobs. Of course, it's, it's mind boggling how many people have lost their jobs. Uh, the number of people is just staggering, uh, really impossible to think of. It's one of those figures that it's too big for the mind to imagine. Uh, the, the also, also is uh, the huge interruption in supply chains uh, throughout the world, uh, especially since it started in China, which is one of the biggest manufacturing countries in the world. And uh, the, the supply chains are connected so much to the, uh, between the United States and China and other countries. One thing that Japan has done recently, and I covered this on, uh, I tweeted about this, was that Japan said that there were, uh, that they're putting, that the Japanese government is, uh, they allocated some funds in order to help businesses relocate uh, some of their supply chain and some of their production from China back to Japan because of the need for security in those supply chains. And that's, uh, I, it's something that I thought could possibly occur is this sort of renationalizing in a way, uh, even though it's not formally nationalizing, I'm just meaning bringing back to your home country, some of the more crucial, um, more crucial manufacturing jobs and uh, production facilities so in order to protect those supply chains and to make sure that there isn't uh, such a huge interruption 
when when events like this occur because uh, Japan and China have a massive amount of trade between them. Uh, and I believe one of the, I believe auto manufa manufacturing was one of the industries that Japan uh, wants to try to get a little bit more of their supply chain out of China and back to Japan, just so that things aren't so interrupted when uh, when events like this occur. And, you know, it could be disasters like typhoons, you know, whatever, but it's just that this time around, it's, it's uh, the coronavirus. Um, that's very, that's very important to make sure that we do that. And because when you have a globalized economy, it's very uh, shocking how much interruption can occur when something like this, uh, of this nature occurs. Um, and for everybody who has lost their jobs, I really feel for you a lot. Um, th this is, this is a very difficult time to go through. And I hope that once we get through this, that everybody can go back to normal as quickly as possible. Uh, I've seen a number of news stories that say that we should not, you know, it's not like it's going to be a light switch that we just flip back on, but uh, I hope that it, it is as close to that as possible. But I don't want to, um, I don't want to belabor any of this any more than than uh, possible. We've gone about uh, 80 minutes now through this and my voice is starting to go a little bit now. <clears throat> but um, if, unless you have uh, any questions about, about, about G-Fest, what I said about G-Fest, uh, if you're coming into the stream now, I do mention, I, I took about mm, 10 minutes and talked about the situation with G-Fest in the uh, in in regards to uh, how the coronavirus is affecting it and how the committee responded to that, uh, there's been enough talk about this uh, this topic on uh, on uh, social media and uh, various other places about uh, the convention. Um, but like I said, I I don't know if uh, it isn't my decision about what they should do and what they shouldn't. It's really more about what they should try to focus on, which is to protect everyone at the convention and to make sure that uh, their safety is is the paramount thing that is being considered. I, w I wouldn't want to, and like I said, I wouldn't want G-Fest to be the reason why people fall ill. That I think that would be... I think that would be far too bad. I think it would possibly damage the reputation of the convention more than, than if the event was postponed or canceled for the year. Um, but I think that it, it's a tough decision. And I think a lot of people have uh, already made, have already had to made, make decisions like this. Like I said, I'm on, I'm on the committee for the Japanese festival in town and we made the decision very uh, quickly. And um, yeah, the question that came in is, uh, if G-Fest does go on as planned, will you still be planning to put on your seminars? Uh, yes, uh, I believe so. If the, if the, uh, if the convention, uh, is held, uh, I do still plan on attending. I, I'm kind of in the same boat as the committee, the planning committee itself. They have adopted a wait and see 
policy. And uh, I can, uh, you know, I've sort of adopted my own wait and see policy in reaction to what they said. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's very important, though, that, uh, that we get, you know, it's, it's impossible to look into the future three months. And I, I, once we do uh, get a, a little bit closer to that, I'm sure both, uh, both the committee and I will be able to make a further um, reassessment of just where we're at. Because uh, I am, uh, I, I might be on panels, I might have my own panels, but that's, that's still being thrown around. Uh, I don't, I can't, I don't really want to say one way or the other because uh, they've instructed us not to go into that and uh, about specifics, specific times, topics, you know, et cetera, because uh, that's still being deliberated. So I'm not going to run around saying what I'm on, what I'm not, you know, we don't know. We don't even know. Like I said, we don't even know if the convention is going to happen. Uh, it's still scheduled though. But uh, yeah, I, I probably uh, will attend if the uh, if the event does go forward. Um, I'll make my own assessment uh, closer to when we get there, of course. But there have been a lot of conferences and a lot of events that have been postponed slash canceled already uh, that were supposed to take place in uh, July. There are also uh, like there are a lot of events that take place during the summer months anyway, conventions, concerts, um, etc. And so that's uh, and I think G Fest is, uh, is is definitely one of them. And then of course, uh, uh, like they mentioned in the press release, there was uh, also um, the Olympics that's been postponed, Democratic National Convention postponed. Uh, so there have already been big reactions. Uh, with those, but of course they're bigger events, and I think uh, I think one reason why they they say that G Fest, you know, particularly is a smaller event, is just because that that maybe gives them a little bit more time to deliberate and to um, take some more time to make the right decision instead of just uh, going on. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the uh, yeah the Indianapolis Five Hundred. Yeah, that got postponed until August, and that's one of the biggest events in all of uh, Indiana for any given any given year. A huge event, and I know people that I know people who who go to that event, and um, sometimes I want to be able to go myself um, one of these years, but probably not. Um, probably not this year, but maybe. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of events, and of course, sports. Um, that's that's one thing that really, uh, uh, that's one thing that's not affected me, but just uh, affected me uh, is the the loss of all these sporting events. Um, I am, am an avid follower of uh, the world tennis tour, and there probably is no more of an international sport than the world tennis tour. Uh, all of the all of the countries, athletes coming from all over the world the the world tour travels to so many different countries south america north america europe asia africa australia uh, all over the place uh, every week it's somewhere different and obviously that depends on a huge amount uh, that depends a huge amount on international travel uh, and getting all of these athletes from one event to the next and uh it's a very international sport. So of course, immediately th that was heavily affected and 
it was, I believe, a month and a half ago, probably by now, that the World Tennis Tour has been uh, uh, postponed. Uh, they, I believe they rescheduled the French Open for something like August, and there was a huge amount of uh, debate over whether uh, that was going to be uh, an actual thing because a, a lot of people were like, that, that's not the right event. Um, it's not the right time to be rescheduling events for because you just don't know. But uh, at some time, that'll be going again. I mean, uh, the also, I mean, baseball, uh, I mean, that's a big North American event, but then uh, also soccer, huge. That's a big, big worldwide event. But I think at the end of the day, tennis is one of the most globalized sports. It depends on uh, globalization, a huge deal. And um, when when you have uh, the coronavirus, you it affects so many things that are that have become globalized over the years, whether it's industries or sports or jobs uh, that depend on globalization. Um, here's another one. Yeah, when, when where's the Godzilla versus Kong trailer? <laughs> that um i i would think that right now might not be the greatest time to be releasing movie trailers it's just my uh i mean i, I don't know we'll, we'll see what happens but uh that's one thing that i don't really think about all that much is when's the when's the next trailer gonna be and uh it's pretty funny but i i think that uh I mean, one thing that that really um, I, I knew would happen, uh, but I, it was um, it was like a month ago now. I think that it's been that it was announced, but uh, the Bond uh, the Bond movie got uh, postponed, and I'm pretty sure that it's it's done. But and it was supposed to be released, I believe, on yeah April 8th. So four days ago was when the original release was supposed to happen. But yeah, and, and then look at Hollywood. Hollywood is another. Uh, in the movie industry, that's another business that is highly globalized. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. I'm not only a big Godzilla fan, but I am a very big Bond fan. I love James Bond movies. And uh, so we have to have that all put on hold now, too. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, September, uh, if you're talking about the, uh, about the, the movie, it might be September that movies start up again and Godzilla versus Kong itself that got pushed to, I believe November. Um, oh yeah. Um, prophecies of Nostradamus. Yes. Um, I said in the Shin Godzilla, the politics of Shin Godzilla episode, I did mention that, uh, that prophecies of Nostradamus is going to be the next episode. And uh, I was just telling somebody about this yesterday, but I don't know. I mean, given how intense I get into movies when I, I cover them on the show, I'm, I, I'm not really sure how I want to go about or if I want to cover that movie at this time. Uh, it's not a good time to cover this movie, no? Uh, it's full of apocalyptic imagery and it's full of uh, all of this just doom and uh, everything. And I'm not really, 
I'm not sure if I'm up to, to covering it. And because I mean, considering how many times I'm going to end up watching this movie during the time that I'm writing about it, I don't know if I can handle the, I mean, I don't know if I want to, I mean, I know I can handle it, but I don't know if I want to like put myself through it. Uh, it's a, there's a lot of doom in that movie and uh, reading the, well, I, it was months ago that I did that, but I read through the entire prophecies of Nostradamus, like all of his own prophecies, the actual book. And then I, I read some other books about him as well and about his prophecies. And the book is not easy. I mean, it's easy reading really, but it's not as good as it's not as good for me to read. And, and it's not good as good for me to read right now. Uh, a lot of, a lot of what is in those prophecies are about events that occurred in the past, of course, uh, and just predicting that they'll happen in the future. But that's, I guess that's an easy way to do prophecies is you think about, you think about events that occurred in past world history, and then you predict that event to happen again in the future. And um, he prophesizes about pestilence and disease, things like that. Uh, Probably the the event that he thought most of with regards to prophesizing future events of disease, that would be the bubonic plague, which that was a bacteria, not a virus, but same sort of thing. And the bacteria um, traveled from uh, rats, I believe. And but that's uh, but it's it's easy to be able to predict future events like this because viruses. Uh, don't care what time it is. They don't care what year it is. And they just, uh, they just, it just works that way. But I, but yeah, I don't know if I want to put the audience through an episode about it. I mean, I was all totally prepared to, you know, to dive right into it four months ago, but then, you know, this happened and I'm not sure if I want to put myself through it. I'm not sure if I want to put the audience through it at the end of the day. Uh, because I was planning on just immersing myself really deeply into this, into this movie and the topic. And I already did a lot of reading uh, and a lot of it's just, it hasn't been, um, I haven't written it down yet, but a lot of it's already in my head. Um, yeah, that's, that's the deal with Nostradamus. Yeah. The, okay. French open is uh, September is scheduled to be September of this year. And there was a lot of disagreement over that date because it also uh, coincides at the, as the same time as the labor cup is going on, which I'm not sure what city that was supposed to be in, but you know, when you schedule one uh, tennis event over another, uh, you're going to get people bent out of shape, including the athletes because they don't know which event they're supposed to go to. And so they have to decide. Um, yeah. I think um, Godzilla Island would be a good topic to uh, cover. And uh in the future episodes of the show uh, there like TV uh, would be good to, to cover uh, TV episodes. And I also thought about uh, doing some other things with the Godzilla movies in particular um, as well. So yeah. Um, Ring of God of the monsters. Yeah. That'd be another one. I've, I've heard of it uh, rather extensively now, but uh, it's not something that I've decided uh, about whether to cover yet or not, but that's another one to uh, that's another one to uh, try discussing. Um, you've already had 
last war and the submersion of japan that's enough apocalyptic depression for one season yeah um the submersion of japan episode ended up being just wonderful uh it's as i think maybe my most favorite episode of the show i spent a lot of time watching that movie over and over and over again and there's a lot of a lot of doom in that i mean japan sinking into the ocean is uh well a big deal and uh and i read the book for that too and gosh it's a great book uh i would love to see the the totally unabridged version of that book come out uh too in in uh in english and the last war is another one that was covered on the show as well and uh the last war is a fantastic episode Danny DeManna from the Godzilla novelization project was in that. Uh, and then the submersion of Japan episode, uh, the wonderful author, John LeMay was uh, the, the guest for that one. And we really covered that movie well. And I, part of that episode was the interview with John. And then uh, part of it was covering the uh, Tokyo uh, 1923 Kanto earthquake, which uh, that's another just, very apocalyptic event to cover so at least i was able to get the last war and submersion of japan uh in uh before this occurred but uh nostradamus is kind of like wow i know that it'll be a great episode when it comes out because it's one of my favorite movies that i've that i've covered uh that i will be covering on the show and it's one of those movies that's really tailor-made for the uh for a show like Hydra Vision because of all the connection to history and culture and current events. Uh, just fantastic to cover that show or cover that movie. Uh, I do want to plug the charity one more time. It is the uh, Center for Disaster Philanthropy, the CDP, and their website is disasterphilanthropy.org. Uh, it is the Center for Disaster Philanthropy COVID-19 Response Fund. Uh, they have a uh, and on here, updates on how to respond. The situation is changing rapidly. This is from their website. Um, on April 10th, the global death toll surpassed 100,000. Um, there have been 1,673,423 confirmed cases of COVID-19, uh, the disease caused by the coronavirus all over the world according to Johns Hopkins University, which uh, the, in case you don't know, there is a, a really good website that's available from Johns Hopkins University and it's the entire globe. Uh, and you can tell, you can look at every single province and state and uh, most of the cases, you can look at the cities uh, about the numbers of uh, COVID-19 cases um, and how many there are. And what this what the fund does is they provide capital purchases of masks, gowns, and gloves and other personal protection equipment to healthcare workers. They support people who are quarantined and especially vulnerable individuals, and they promote hygiene uh, activities uh, in order to prevent uh, the transfer of the virus. The fund provides support to especially vulnerable individuals and those who are quarantined. The funds go to local clinics, frontline health, frontline healthcare workers, hygiene education, local food banks, low-income families, healthcare supply chains, um, and I made sure that COVID the uh, COVID nineteen response fund is a uh, legitimate uh, business and legitimate. Uh, it's a nonprofit, and uh, the nonprofit is headquartered in um, Washington D.C. 
and the funds will go, um, from what I understand, to uh, Americans who are uh, going through this crisis, which currently America is the hardest hit uh, country in the world right now uh, by the virus. But of course, that could change in the future, uh, particularly because there are so many things uh, going on. This is such a rapidly changing situation. Um, it's a very difficult time for everybody. And one thing that I wanted to do uh, as a Godzilla podcast and as a podcast in general uh, that covers current events, history, international affairs, all of that, I wanted to be able to uh, to try to do my part here and get the word out about it and to do something productive for all of this um, instead of just uh, just going about business as usual because uh, this isn't a time to uh, for for us to be going about business as usual. Um, but uh, let me see if there's anything else that I need to say, but I don't think there's a lot. I've covered quite a bit. Um, but thank you for the questions and, uh, and thank you for that. Oh, uh, there's one question here about King Kong escapes. Yes, uh, I did watch that. Um, I have seen it a couple times now. And that's a lot more uh, fun movie. And I'm, I'm not sure how much I'm going to change the, uh, the list of uh, episodes I have scheduled to go. I might just go about it and uh, just take, you know, just decide as it comes what I'm going to do with this. But I'm glad that I was able to have you here today, regardless of the, uh, the of the circumstances, of course. Um, so I'll do our uh, conclusion and have it at that. If you like the content on my channel, like, share, subscribe. Let me know in the comments what you thought of today's live stream. When I'm done with the live stream, I will grab the audio from it, and then I will turn that into a podcast episode and post the audio of that. Um, if you'd like to send some feedback, I'd love to hear from you. The email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. Or you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kaiju Vision Radio is available on our website, kaijuvision.com, YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, and Podcast Addict. I'm Brian Churchill, and this is KVR Kaiju Vision Radio. And I will see you next time. <laughs>